that we just experienced. Uh, in a few moments, we're going to be celebrating the greatest of miracles, that miracle of new life that comes to us in Jesus Christ as we share in the bread and cup of communion. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians that whenever we come to this time, we're to examine ourselves. And maybe we can use this story today that was just read from us for us out of the book of Acts to help us examine our lives as we come to share in this time of communion. Today there are blogs and podcasts and TikTok and whatever other social media I don't keep up with, but there used to be Ann Landers. Do any of you remember Ann Landers? One time a woman from Bismarck, North Dakota, wrote Ann Landers with a story about her Aunt Emma. Aunt Emma was married to Uncle Ollie. Uncle Ollie was a tightwad, and he was also a little strange. He made a good salary, but he and Aunt Emma always were pinching pennies because Uncle Ollie always insisted on cashing every paycheck he got and putting 20% of the money under his mattress. Uncle Ollie didn't trust banks, and he would always tell Aunt Emma that this cash would come in handy in their old age. When Uncle Ollie was in his 60s, he became sick with a terminal illness. And near the end, he called over to their house, all of his brothers, and in their presence, he had Aunt Emma promise that when he passed away, she would take all of that cash that, she had, that he had stashed under the mattress and put it in his casket. He figured that that might help him to buy his way into heaven if he needed to. Well, the brothers and Aunt Emma knew that Uncle Ollie was an odd man, but this was the craziest idea he had ever come up with. Even so, Aunt Emma promised Uncle Ollie that she would do what he asked, and she assured the brothers that she would keep her word. Well, Uncle Ollie died. And the next day, Aunt Emma took that money out from under the mattress and she took it to the bank to deposit it. It totaled $126,000. On the day of the visitation at the funeral home, Aunt Emma took her checkbook and she wrote out a check for that amount of money. And when she got to the funeral home, she walked over to the casket and she put that check into the casket with Uncle Ollie and it was buried with him. And Aunt Emma's family has been laughing about it ever since. Aunt Emma was quite a promise maker and a gift giver who managed to find a way to hold something back for herself. Now this story of Aunt Emma and Uncle Ollie was told for the truth, and maybe so. But the book of Acts 
tells us a story that gives us a definitely true report about some people who were promise makers and gift givers who managed to hold something back for themselves. They were the married couple Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias and Sapphira were members of the church at Jerusalem. And the members of this church took real care of each other. From time to time, the members of the church who owned houses and plots of lands would sell their property. And they would bring some of the proceeds to the leaders of the church to distribute to people who were in need. The man we know is Barnabas was one of these members. The book of Acts tells us Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. This man named Joseph had gained such a reputation for affirming and helping other people that the apostles called him Mr. Encouragement. Barnabas was respected and held in high esteem and regard by everybody. When Ananias and Sapphira saw what Barnabas did, And they decided they wanted to make a gift to the church themselves to be used in ministry to those who had needs. But it turned out to be a tragic transaction. The book of Acts says, But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Ananias and Sapphira brought some money to the apostles and they told them that they were making a contribution of everything they had made off of the sale of their piece of property. But really they had made more money off of the sale of that property than they were bringing to the apostles. And they were deliberately holding back something for themselves. Now, we don't know exactly everything that was going on in the minds of Ananias and Sapphira. Maybe they started out with entirely good intentions. Maybe they'd been inspired by the actions of Barnabas and they decided they wanted to follow his model of generosity. And so they announced to the congregation that they were going to make a gift of all the proceeds that they had received from the sale of a piece of property. But then maybe they began to have some second thoughts about it. Maybe they wondered if they really could afford to give everything they had made off of the sale of that piece of property. But they didn't want to have to deal with the disappointment of not following through on their public pledge, so they came up with a plan to save face. They would say they were giving everything that they had made when they sold that piece of property. But they would actually keep some of it back for themselves. Maybe something like this is what happened with Ananias and Sapphira. 
Maybe they began with all of the right intentions, but then they hatched up a scheme that had nothing but wrong intentions. But there's also another possibility. Maybe Ananias and Sapphira were deceitful from the very beginning. Maybe they were really more interested in gaining the praise and the accolades of other people than they were in helping to meet the needs of other people. Maybe they saw the way that all the church members had looked up to Barnabas with admiration and respect and they wanted some of this public recognition themselves. And so they decided that they would tell the church that they were going to give a gift of everything they had gotten from a piece of property. And they would impress everybody with their generosity. But then secretly, they would keep back for themselves something of what they had promised. I think we know that sometimes people can do things mainly out of a motivation to impress other people. This is an election year, so here's an election year story. When I was a pastor in Kentucky, I got a call from a church member who was the local campaign manager for a man who was running to be his party's nominee for the position of lieutenant governor in the state. And this candidate was going to be in our area on the Sunday before the primary election. And the church member wanted to know whether it was okay for this candidate to worship with us. And I said, of course, anybody is welcome to worship with us. And the candidate was there in church that Sunday morning. And he sat right there in the center section and he shook the hands of a lot of church members. I later found out that this candidate had really expected to be introduced in the service and even to have a few moments to say words of greeting to the congregation. And he was perturbed that he hadn't gotten that opportunity. And he told the local campaign manager who was our church member that he could have found a better way to use his time that morning if he wasn't going to get any public recognition. That man really wasn't very interested in worshiping God that Sunday morning. He was really interested in impressing other people with the fact that he was attending a worship service. And by the way, that candidate didn't win the primary election. And he finished so far down the list of candidates that he wouldn't have won the election even if he had gotten the vote of everybody in our town, much less our congregation. I suppose if we'll admit it, all of us sometimes can be engaged in what somebody has called impression management. We care about making impressions on other people, impressing them with our skills or our talents or our achievements or our generosity or whatever it is so that we can manage and shape what it is that other people think about us. Always to our advantage. 
We can like to receive recognition for what we do. Maybe we try to draw attention to ourselves in very blatant ways, just like the young child who says, hey, look at me. But maybe more often we're more subtle about it. We do something behind the scenes and then somebody finds out about it and we say, oh, it's nothing. But deep down, we're feeling pretty good about ourselves and we're glad that somebody noticed us. The desire to impress, the desire to stand out in the spotlight, the desire to get that pat of recognition and compliment on the back, all of that can be a real temptation and challenge to us, and sometimes it can get the best of us. And maybe something like that is what happened with Ananias and Sapphira. But whatever the full motivation for their actions, Ananias and Sapphira had a gift to give to the apostles. And they said the gift was the total purchase price from the sale of their peace property. But they actually weren't telling the truth. They were skimming some of the money off the top for themselves. And Peter knew all about it. Peter knew all about their scheme. We don't know how Peter knew. Somehow God had given Peter the knowledge. But Peter knew all about it and he said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. For some reason, Ananias was by himself, alone, when he gave this gift to the apostle. And maybe he was standing there just waiting for all those expressions of praise and appreciation to start flowing his way. But Peter didn't mince any words. He said, in effect, why did you let Satan tempt you and get the best of you? You know you have lied by telling us this money is everything you got for your property. Why have you done such an evil thing? You haven't just lied to us. You've lied to God. The real problem with what Ananias did was not that he didn't give the total purchase price of the sale of that piece of property to the church. The problem with what Ananias did was that he was lying about what he was giving. He said he was doing one thing, but he was really doing something else. Peter told Ananias that that piece of property certainly belonged to him and Sapphira. And they could do with their land whatever it is they wanted to do with their land. They didn't have to sell that piece of land and give the proceeds to the church. And even when they decided to sell that piece of land, they could have made whatever contribution they wanted to the church. They could have said, we made $100,000 off the sale of our piece of land and we're going to donate half of it to the church for the church's ministry to those people in need. 
And the leaders of the church would have accepted the gift and they would have said, thank you and praise the Lord. Ananias and Sapphira didn't have to give everything. Their gift was always a voluntary contribution. But Ananias and Sapphira said that they were giving everything. They said they were doing something, but they actually weren't doing it. They said they were giving 100% of the proceeds of the sale of this piece of property, but they were really giving something less than that. They were holding something back for themselves. They lied to the church, and they lied to God. And Ananias had now been caught in the lie. And Ananias had an immediate reaction to his lie being exposed. He keeled over. He dropped dead. Something gripped his mind. Fear, shock, guilt, shame, whatever it was. And something struck his body, a heart attack, a stroke, whatever it was. But Ananias dropped dead on the spot. And everybody in the church perceived what had happened to Ananias as the result of his own self-destruction and God's judgment on his sin. And some young men who were members of the church threw a burial cloth over Ananias and they carried his body out to the cemetery to be buried. And they didn't even stop to have a time of mourning. Then about three hours later, Sapphira showed up. We don't know where Sapphira had been. Maybe she'd been out shopping with some of that money they had kept back for themselves. It's a bad joke, but maybe she shopped while he dropped. At any rate, Sapphira didn't yet know what it was that had happened to her husband, Ananias. And Peter didn't exactly approach Sapphira with a lot of pastoral care for a newly widowed woman. Instead, he confronted her with a question. Tell me, Sapphira, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? And Sapphira now had the opportunity to do the right thing. She could tell all of them the truth about how much they had actually gotten for the sale of their piece of property. And she could confess how they had decided to keep for themselves some of this money in spite of what they had promised, in spite of their public pledge. But instead, Sapphira said, yes, that's the price. She continued to lie. And so Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed to test the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Peter was saying, in effect, Why did you and Ananias try to see how much you could get away with? Sapphira, you're going to suffer the consequences of your lie just like Ananias. The young men who buried Ananias are here to bury you too. And Sapphira dropped dead herself. And the young pallbearers carried her out and buried her next to Ananias. 
Well, the undertaker may have had some mixed emotions that day, but everybody else in the church was terrified. We're told by the book of Acts, great fear came upon the church and upon all who heard of these things. Well, I imagine so. And in fact, that may have been something of an understatement. My father was also a pastor. And there was this minister who was a classmate of his in seminary. I think they had been classmates in college too. One day when I was serving in my very first church, this minister was visiting for a few days with my parents. And I went over to my parents' house because I had also known this guy when I was growing up. This minister was quite a storyteller. And he got to talking about some experiences that he had had in the first church that he had served when he was a pastor. Things had gotten pretty tough in this church. There was a good bit of conflict. Several factions had developed. There were a lot of power struggles that were going on. And the minister and the leaders of the church really wanted the church again to be able to experience unity and harmony. And they got together for a meeting and they all agreed that they would pray the same thing. They would all pray that God would remove the problem in the church so that all the members could live in unity, at peace with one another again. But next week, a man who had been at the center of much of the turmoil in the church dropped dead. That certainly got people's attention. And revival broke out in that church. I suspect that something like that happened in the church at Jerusalem when Ananias and Sapphira suddenly dropped dead. I suspect people were reminded of the holiness of God and they began to evaluate their lives to see if they were in danger of being like Ananias and Sapphira. I suspect the people began to search their hearts to see if there was some way that they could be lying to God. And the issue was much bigger than just a matter about the gifts of money that they might make to the church for the church's ministry. This issue was fundamentally an issue about how they were going to live their lives as followers of Jesus. It was an issue of their faithfulness as disciples of Jesus. And this issue is still with us today as Christian people. It doesn't matter what generation that we live in. The issue is our integrity as followers of Jesus Christ. This integrity is certainly going to involve being honest and truthful. It means speaking what is true and not being deceitful. But the concept of integrity is much broader than this. The word integrity comes from a root word that means wholeness or completeness or being intact. 
Integrity means someone is whole. Every part of a person's life fits together with every other part of that person's life. What a person believes and what a person says and what a person does, they all come together in a whole. There's consistency. A person doesn't have a public way of living that's different from their private way of living. A person's outer actions match up with their words. A person doesn't claim to be something that they're not. Everything about a person's life adds up to make a total package. There's no lying, there's no pretending, there's no putting on disguises, there's no covering up, there's no playing games. What you see is what you get. And what you get is someone who is serious about following Jesus Christ and we aren't trying to hold anything back from him. Ananias and Sapphira weren't people of integrity. They weren't whole people. They were making promises to God, but they weren't keeping their promises to God. They claimed they were giving God 100%, but they were keeping something back for themselves. They were lying about their commitment to Jesus Christ. They were pretending to be following Jesus completely. They weren't being true to Jesus as the Lord of their whole lives. And the truth is, it's possible for us to be like Ananias and Sapphira. Maybe more than we would like to confess. One semester while I was in the graduate program in seminary, a well-known Swiss Bible scholar was a visiting professor at our school. He could be a rather plain-spoken fellow. He read a paper that I did, and in one section of this paper, I had described a pattern that I thought I had discovered in the way that Paul used a particular word in one of his letters. And in the margin beside that section of my paper, this professor wrote, that is absurd. His comment stung, I'll admit, but on reflection, he probably was right. Well, one evening during the semester, there was a forum with this visiting professor and all of the students and faculty in the graduate program. The visiting professor spoke about some topic that I really don't recall, but I do vividly remember the question and answer time that we had after his presentation. He was asked about his experiences in the United States and what he observed about American Christians that most caught his attention. And this is what that visiting professor said. The way people tell lies in church. Well, we looked around at each other puzzled by what we had just heard. But the professor went on to say, just listen to the words of the songs your congregations sing. Your people say all of the words, but they don't really mean them completely. 
Well, we had to think about it. And we were thinking about the older, more traditional hymns, but I'm sure the same thing applies to our more contemporary church music. We can sing Sweet Hour Prayer, but all too often we can just nod in God's direction with a quick prayer or we can become preoccupied and neglect God altogether. We sing, I love to tell the story. But maybe we don't really tell it very often. We can sing, wherever he leads, I'll go. But maybe sometimes we even fail to show up to start the journey. We sing, I surrender all, but maybe we really just surrender some. And we keep in guard for ourselves certain corners and spaces of our lives. We sing, and be thou my vision, riches I heed not, nor vain empty praise. Thou my inheritance now and always, thou and thou only first in my heart. I, King of heaven, my treasure thou art. But we can measure our lives by the standards of success and comfort that society and culture tell us are important. We sing in at Calvary, Now I've given to Jesus everything. Now I gladly own him as my king. But we can put ourselves up on the throne of our own lives and we can hold back a lot of things for ourselves. Now the point is not that we stop singing our songs on Sunday in worship. Or that we just hum along and we're reluctant to voice the words. We need to offer our praise to God in worship through our songs and our singing. But the point is that we need to be serious about the promises that we make to God. We need to care with everything that we are about our faithfulness as we follow Jesus Christ. We need to always be seeking to be people of integrity. And make sure we understand we're not talking here just about our money and our possessions. We're talking here about our time and our energies and our talents and our spiritual gifts and our relationships and our attitudes of compassion and concern and our actions of love and service. We can claim that we have given our whole lives to Jesus Christ, but then we can end up holding much of ourselves back for our own sake and for those self-interested plans that we can make of our own. And we can end up being a lot like Ananias and Sapphira, even if we don't want to recognize it. But the story of our lives never has to end like their sad story. Ananias and Sapphira lied to God and they dropped dead in their sin. But we can drop to our knees in humble confession and trust. And we can find God's grace for our lives. God's grace that God never holds back from us. And God will fill us with the power of His Spirit to live our lives according to His plans for us.
Somebody once prayed, Lord, so far today I've done all right. I haven't gossiped. I haven't lost my temper. I haven't been greedy or grumpy or nasty or selfish. But Lord, in a few minutes, I'm going to get out of bed. And from then on, I'm going to need some help today. If we ask God and if we really depend on God, God will give us the help that we need to live each day. God will give us the help that we need to be people of integrity. God will give us the help we need to live lives with faithfulness as we follow Him, being true to all those promises that we have made. God will give us the help that we need to live out those commitments to give Him our everything. The truth is, we'll never be perfect in this life. But with God's help, we can keep on growing to be like Jesus Christ. With God's help, we can keep on growing to be holy, completely, 100% His. With God's help, we can keep on growing to give Him everything that we are. With God's help, we can be people full of integrity. Lord, I'm going to need some help today. That's a promise that God is always going to keep. Helping us. Because that's a prayer that God is always ready to answer. Would you pray? Lord, as we look at these words of Scripture, help us to see ourselves in Ananias and Sapphira, even if we don't want to. Help us to see the ways that we're not always people of integrity. And we say one thing, but we try to hold something about our lives back from you. And then, Lord, as we see these words of Scripture, help us to see you there. And to know that you're a God of grace. And find your power for living a power that forgives, a power that enables us to live our lives in faithfulness because you have been faithful to us. For we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.